Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. We're going to be back in Luke for the next season for a while. We started off last year and looked at the early chapters of Luke and the incarnation, the coming of Christ. The next chapters all the way up to chapter 9, verse 51 in uh, the, the mighty miracles of Christ, the works of Christ. And from 951 to 1927, there's a major section in the Gospel of Luke. It focuses on the words of Christ, the teachings of Christ. And that's where most of the parables are. And we've been looking at kind of breaking it down into um, multiple mini-series, one on prayer. Uh, we looked at seven messages on prayer. We've been looking at what Jesus says about money and possessions. So this is the fourth message today on money and possessions. And then we're going to be looking at what Jesus thinks about the least of these, the outcasts. Uh, so we'll have multiple messages on caring for uh, the outcast, those who uh, the society rejects, but Jesus welcomes. And then we'll finish up in this section, which is 951 to 1927, this major section. We'll go back and pick up the verses that we didn't look at during these mini-series uh, as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem. Remember, he fixed his face like flint towards Jerusalem. So today we're in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word today, 
that your Holy Spirit would take your word and implant it deep in our hearts and that you would change us. Lord, may we be different people this year by your word, by your spirit working through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The last passage that we looked at in Luke was on the rich young ruler. And our passage today is a direct contrast to that passage. Remember, the rich young ruler was esteemed in his community. He was earnest in his pursuits. He was ethical in his behavior. He was extremely rich, but he was ensnared in his wealth. He was a religious man that was ensnared in his wealth. And you remember what Jesus said, look back in Luke 19, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, and the man's response was, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. And Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The disciples heard it. Jesus gave them an illustration of an impossibility. They said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And he was presenting an impossibility, and they got it. And we know that's what he meant because they got it, they received it, they understood it that way. And he says, what is impossible with man, it's impossible for man to save himself. It's impossible for man to release himself from the snares of riches. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. I said this last time, and I want to share it again because I feel like it's helpful and we need to get it again. Listen to this. Divine grace does for a man what he will not and cannot do for himself. Grace does the impossible. It causes the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dead to rise, and sets the captives free. It looses the white knuckle grip on idols of the heart like riches and changes the desires and affections so that sinners can see the treasure 
that Christ is, forsaking everything to follow him. That's what grace does. The man walked away sad. But in our text today, we see a man who joyfully received Jesus. He didn't walk away sad. He welcomed Jesus joyfully. Literally, the word is continuously rejoicing. We see a contrast. Jesus showing that God does the impossible. I want us to notice five things that the grace of God does. First of all, number one, the grace of God draws us to receive Jesus joyfully. Verses 1 to 7, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, that's a, an important detail because remember, ever since chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus was moving towards Jerusalem. He fixed his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He was headed towards Jerusalem to a Roman cross to suffer and die, to be crucified in the place of sinners. In fact, multiple times that we see Luke bring out this detail that Jesus was going towards Jerusalem. Chapter 13, verse 33 Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Chapter 17, verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Chapter 18, verse 31, in taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. But Jesus has fixed his face like flint, and he's headed towards Jerusalem. So he's not coming to Jericho to stay. He's passing through Jericho to Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Zacchaeus had a good Jewish name, Zacchae, and it meant pure. It meant righteous, clean. And yet this man was a chief tax collector. And we know of two tax collectors' names. One was Levi, the tax collector Matthew, and Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector of this region. And one theologian describes this word. It's very unusual. It's used for the chief tax collector. He describes it this way. 
A tax collector who is preeminent in authority and skill over all other tax collectors. He's not just a sinner, he's a preeminent sinner. He's hated by his Jewish brothers. He's been oppressing them. He's been in cahoots with the Romans, collecting the taxes and collecting a little bit more for himself, extorting his brothers and sisters. So he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector and was very rich. Remember, the rich young ruler was very rich, and he was a righteous man. He was a religious man, and now we have an example of an outcast, a rejected man that was very rich too. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He'd heard the accounts about Jesus. Jesus was passing through And Zacchaeus was seeking to see who he was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he hurried, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down out of that tree because it is necessary for me to stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And literally, this is in a continuous action. It's present, continuous. He received him rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone, into, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They were always grumbling about Jesus being with sinners, the outcasts, the ones that society rejected. And yet Jesus was always moving towards the outcasts, the unlikely sinners. The grace of God draws us to receive Jesus joyfully. This is an unlikely man. He's rejected and hated. He's ensnared in his riches. He has everything he needs. And all of a sudden, he starts acting different. He doesn't care what people think. He runs ahead. He climbs up a tree. He's got to see who this Jesus is. He's got to see. It doesn't matter what anybody says. When God moves upon the heart, unexpected and extraordinary things happen. An uber-wealthy man, preeminent among all the tax collectors, loathed in the Jewish community, does whatever it takes, no matter what people say or think, just to see who Jesus really is. See, his desire to know who Jesus is came from above. He was being drawn to the Savior by the grace 
of God. In John chapter 6, Jesus teaches in the synagogue at Capernaum. And he says these words. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And verse 44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by my Father. See, it's the grace of God that draws us to receive Jesus joyfully. It wasn't that Zacchaeus all of a sudden got smart enough or figured it all out. God was drawing him to see Jesus for who he really was and to receive him joyfully. Number two, the grace of God causes us to loosen our grip on money and possessions. Look at verse 8, the beginning part of verse 8, 8a. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Zacchaeus stood up. This is kind of a, a formal moment. He stands up in a decisive moment. And he says, Behold, and in the original language, it's behold, the half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. I want you to fill in the blank. Behold, fill in the blank, Lord. Zacchaeus said, Lord. See, by grace, he recognized him as Lord. And God's grace causes us to loosen our grip on money and possessions, and his grip was loosening. Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. Let me ask you, do you find yourself gripping your possessions, holding fast to your money, do you see your fingertips or your knuckles or do you see your open hands? Because the grace of God causes us to loosen our grip, to open our hands. Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I give it away. See, grace does things to us. It causes things to happen in us, things that we would not do. We can't do and we won't do. 
And God's grace does. Number three, the grace of God creates in us a heart of generosity and a longing to bless others, especially the poor. A heart of generosity and a longing to bless others. Look at the rest of verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods, Lord, I give to the poor. I give to the poor. I give it away. There's a generosity that comes from the Lord. Randy Alcorn says this, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond with generous giving. You can't help it. Behold, have my goods, Lord, I give to the poor. See, grace turns a greedy man into a generous man. And you may say, well, I wasn't a greedy man. I wasn't a greedy woman like Zacchaeus. I mean, I was a good man. Grace turns good men into generous men. Grace turns good women into generous women. See, grace does something. It changes us. Grace transforms the desires and directions of our hearts from being rich towards ourselves into being rich toward God and towards others. When Paul is encouraging the Corinthians by the testimony of the Macedonians, he tells them how grace has impacted poor Macedonians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See, Paul was collecting an offering among all the churches and taking it back to the poor saints in Jerusalem. He had a heart for the poor. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, after he's extended the right hand of fellowship, it says in verse 10, only they asked us to, the, to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was, he was encouraging the churches that the gospel had come and changed their lives. And he was encouraging them to share, to be generous towards the saints who were back at Jerusalem struggling, the poor back in Jerusalem. So the Macedonians who were poor, they were begging to be a part of the offering. Please let us. God has been so generous to us. We want to be generous.
So he says in verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, Paul's reminding them of the gospel and what God has done in Christ to rescue us. And this is a motivation towards them to, or for them to participate in this offering. And in chapter 9, verses 10 to 15, Paul says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. See, this is gospel motivation. What God has done in Christ, this moves us to be generous towards others. God has been generous towards us. How can we not be generous towards others? He says, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. See, grace does something. Grace makes greedy people generous people. Good people, generous people. Hudson Taylor said this, he said, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. Are you generous? Or are you resentful? of the call to generosity? Are you struggling to let go, not realizing that God has given you everything in Christ and will not He also give you everything that you need? Give it away. Behold, Lord, everything I have is yours. Number four, the grace of God produces in us an earnestness in genuine repentance. An earnestness in genuine repentance. Look at the end of verse 8, 8c. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything. And the word defrauded means cheated, extorted, oppressed. If I've cheated anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
If I've oppressed anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I want to give it back four times what I took. Now, Zacchaeus, Zacchae, knew the law. In Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and he has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom It belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. See, the law required that you restore, make restitution. You restore what you took, what you stole, and add a fifth to it. Add 20%. And yet the grace of God produces in us an earnestness and genuine repentance. He said, Lord, I restore it fourfold. I'll give it back four times what I took. Now, he took a lot, a lot from everybody. And yet he, remember, stands up, making a commitment and declaration. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He went way above and beyond what was required by the law. And that is what the grace of God does. There's an earnestness and genuine repentance. The Apostle Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Paul says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. See, what Paul is describing is an eagerness to be cleared. I've done wrong, but I want to make it right. An indignation over sin. It's not just that I got caught. I hate what I did. I'm so sorry. I'm going to make it right in a zeal for righteousness. Did you see those words in that picture of what godly grief produces? What the grace of God does in the heart, it produces an eagerness to be cleared, an indignation over sin, a zeal for righteousness, and that is what is demonstrated in Zacchaeus' life. He says, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it 
fourfold. Now that's what repentance looks like. Have you defrauded anyone of anything? Have you cheated anyone out of anything? And you know that you need to make it right, but you're, you're struggling to, well, if I could just, you know, give back what I took, that would be good. And yet, what we see in Zacchaeus is remember, whatever it takes, I don't care what anybody says, I'm gonna run to the front of the crowd, I'm gonna climb up the tree, I've gotta see who this Jesus is. And, and when Jesus calls him, come down, he runs down. He receives him with rejoicing upon rejoicing. He welcomes Jesus into his life. He calls him Lord. He says, Lord, I give it away. Half of my goods, Lord, I, I give it to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I give it back to him and four times what I took. There was a zeal and an eagerness in genuine repentance. But number five, I want us to end here, that the grace of God per pursues the lost with purpose and intentionality. Remember, grace does something. The grace of God pursues the lost with purpose and intentionality. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Remember, he was Jewish, Zechai. He was of Jewish descent in the line of Abraham, and yet he didn't have the faith of Abraham before this moment. But Jesus says, salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham for, because, watch this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The grace of God pursues the lost with purpose and intentionality. Jesus didn't come just to make a way for people to figure it out for him to just wait for people to come to him. Remember what I said at the beginning. I said divine grace does for man what he will not and cannot do for himself. Grace does the impossible. Jesus isn't sitting there just waiting. He pursues the lost with purpose and intentionality. Remember the passage in Ezekiel chapter 34 where it says in verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I will seek the lost. Verse 16, and I will bring back the strayed. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He came to seek 
and to save the lost. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That faith to believe is not even of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace of God pursues the loss with purpose and intentionality. What we see in, this, in these verses is that grace is evidenced, not earned. It's evidenced. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. The, the evidence is that salvation has come to this house. It's evidenced by the joyful reception of Jesus. It's evidenced by a loosened grip on money and possessions. It's evidenced by a heart of generosity and a longing to bless others. It's evidenced by the earnestness of genuine repentance. And it's evidenced by the lost being found and saved. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says this, He says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's evidenced. They turn from idols to serve the living and true God. It's evidenced by their repentance. It's evidenced by their joy in receiving the gospel. Let me bring it to a close and make some application. First of all, check your grip on your money and possessions. Do you see white knuckles or clenched fingers or do you see open hands? Behold, Everything I have, Lord. If you are able to say, Lord, then you need to let go. Number two, what are the ways that you're being rich toward God and towards others? Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the instructions towards the wealthy that Paul gives... Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What are ways that you're demonstrating being rich in good works, being rich towards God, rich towards others? See, the the old saying, you can't outgive God. Yeah, it's cliche, but it's true. You can't outgive God. So think about ways that you can reflect the generosity of God in your generosity towards others. How can you increase your giving towards kingdom purposes this year? Did you hear that? How could you increase 
your giving towards kingdom purposes. Remember, it's, it's coming from within. It's, it's what grace does. You're begging to take part, Lord. How can, I, how can I give more? How can I be more generous? Because that's what grace does deep in the heart. You don't have to muster up a desire for generosity. It comes from the Holy Spirit within. Increasing towards giving towards the ongoing ministries of the church, the budget, the the needs of benevolence. Let me tell you this. Last week, we sent a check to send relief of the Southern Baptist Convention to help the tornado victims and all of the disaster relief going on in Kentucky and, and that whole area, Tennessee, and the in that kind of central area there. We gave $11,800 towards disaster relief. This church, and it came through benevolence, through our benevolence offering, as well as what people gave directly towards that opportunity. The Lord has produced generosity in the hearts of his people here at Bull Street, and there's many ways to get involved in missions, the missions offering, benevolence, the ongoing ministries of the church. Ask the Lord, how could I be more generous? Number three, is there any way that you have defrauded, cheated, or oppressed others that needs to be dealt with before the Lord? Do you need to seek forgiveness? Do you need to seek restitution? And remember what grace does. It makes you zealous about being cleared. I want to be right. I don't want to just do what's required. I want to go above and beyond for the glory of God. Number four, is there any way in which you would find yourself trying to earn God's favors? Remember, grace is not earned, it's evidenced. We don't earn God's favor. We can't earn salvation. We need to be transformed by grace. But so many times we're constantly seeking to try to earn God's favor, even as believers, is there a way that you need to say, no, I just need to rest in what Jesus has done. It's finished and receive what he's done joyfully. Number five and finally, have you welcomed Jesus into your life with continuous rejoicing? Rejoicing upon rejoicing upon rejoicing. Have you received him and surrendered to him and call him Lord, Master? You see, we've been bought with a price, not our own or his. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior? And maybe today you need to say, I give it up. I surrender today. And that will be by the grace of God. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your grace. Your grace is amazing. Grace is powerful, effectual. You do what we will not and cannot do for ourselves. You don't save us against our wills. You make us willing to be saved. So God, would you do a powerful work today by your grace in saving the lost and changing your people to look more like Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.